Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. When you get rejected and opposed for your Christianity, you need to be, you need to pity them. Pity them. As bad as when someone rejects a spot on the ark, because you're picturing them suffocating and drowning and their lungs filling with water. I'm thinking to myself, I feel bad for you. Yeah, it's hard. I don't like you throwing rocks at me. But even Stephen, when he was being killed and martyred, could recognize this is a bad thing for you. No one wants to be mistreated. But if you stand up for biblical truth in today's hostile culture, you will be rejected by the world. The question is, how will you react? Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares shares practical ways to respond well and build your faith when you face affliction. It's another gospel lesson from the Old Testament and plucked from Stephen's speech in Acts chapter 7. I'm Dave Drury, and now here's Pastor Mike with a powerful message called The Postponement of Moses. We've been studying in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, who's giving this response. It's the longest recorded response in the book of Acts of any sermon, any speech. But let's look at these verses. Acts chapter 7, verses 23 through 29. This is all a recapitulation, retelling of Exodus chapter 2. When he was 40 years, Moses, of course, when he was 40 years old, it came to his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man. So one of the Israelites is being oppressed. We can assume he's being beaten because he's going to respond with violence. So he's probably being violently attacked. Get a sense of that in Exodus 2. And he avenged him. He stepped in. Self-protection, uh, you know, he was defending this man, right? He's stepping in as a defender. And he struck him down and he killed him, right? Striking down the Egyptian. Now, here's the commentary that's helpful. He supposed that his brothers, the Israelites, would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Read that again. Supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Do you see how that echoes into the defense of Stephen, right? Jesus came here offering salvation to the Sanhedrin, and you did not understand that he was here as the means of spiritual forgiveness and salvation, that you get it right with your maker. My pastor was just here. You beat him and had him arrested. You told him to stop preaching the message that could save you. Now I'm here. I mean, you keep talking about Moses. You're concerned about Moses' reputation and whether I'm blaspheming or not. He was misunderstood, which by the way, if you're a Christian, I assume you are being misunderstood. You go into our culture and you say things like, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. You say there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Buddha doesn't work. Islam doesn't work. Hinduism doesn't work. Look at all the monks on you know, the, the, the news feeds, and they're all going to hell unless they trust in Christ because there's no other way to get saved. This is the lifeboat, right? This is it. You, you, there's no other way. You start saying, hey, guys, I have the answer for you. You guys are in sin and you need to repent and you need to get right with God. And the only way to do that is in Christ. Share that with all your coworkers this week and see if they understand it. I'll bet that they'll not understand it. I'll bet 95% of them will not understand it. 
And that's the reality for Moses, just like it was for Christ and Peter and Stephen. You stand with that Christ in this culture, you will not be liked. I want you to get God's perspective on that. If you're taking notes, just the first three verses, put it down that way. Seek God's perspective in the rejection. You, number one, should be rejected. And let me say that as strongly as I can. Let me quote the words of Christ that are much stronger than my own words. John chapter 15, verse 9. Listen carefully, please. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But as it is, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Okay, guys, I didn't say that. Jesus Christ said that. He's very clear in the context. Do you think you're going to do better than I did with the culture? You're married to someone the culture hates because they don't like his sexual ethics. They don't like the narrow-minded exclusivity of his means of salvation. They don't like bowing the knee. I think about my, non, my conversations in evangelism with non-Christians. I don't like all this submission to God stuff. That's not my kind of religion. we got to get a better perspective on this. We need to understand the rejection from God's perspective. But first, and I can't really preach this section of his life without taking to Hebrews 11. Can you go to Hebrews chapter 11? Drop down to verse 24. Look at verse 24 in this passage. By faith, and this is what's lacking for some of us. Because if I could show you and prove to you that Christ were coming back tomorrow, if you really believe the judge was standing at the door, you believed, even though it's the third watch of the night, that he's going to knock and tomorrow the door will be open. I think you would have faith, confidence, to do the things that Moses did here. When he was grown up, he's 40 years old, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't have to agree with the culture. He said, I, I'm not going to be associated with that. I refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather, verse 25, to be mistreated with the people of God, because the culture didn't like them. Matter of fact, they saw them as a threat, than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And some of you right now are choosing sin by your silence. You're choosing acceptance over loyalty to Christ. Well, I'm afraid of the reproach. I'm afraid of the criticism. afraid of the rejection. Let me give you a couple pastoral. I mean, this is really a counseling session, but let's, let's, let's go to 1 Peter 4. What's the perspective in rejection? Well, we stand with Christ. Okay, now what does that mean? What does that look like? 1 Peter chapter 4. Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. This was Christ that was rejected first, you know. That you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There's the th I'm looking forward to the reward. It's going to be good. I will be vindicated. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, here's the perspective, you are blessed. Because at that point, talk about affirmation, the opposite of insecurity. The spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. At that moment, you should feel hugged by God, by the circumstances. I feel affirmed. Now, he's got to clarify, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. I'm not talking about you liking conflict and, and causing conflict because you're a troublemaker. No, but if anyone suffers, verse 16, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Don't be insecure. Don't start quivering. But instead, affirmation, let him glorify God in that name. I'm going to stand firm. Three things. First one, you want to work through this the right perspective? It's affirmation. It's not insecurity. When you get ridiculed this week for being a Christian, when they reject you, when they thrust you out, when you're insulted, 
I need to say, okay, in that insult, and Jesus says it often. Matter of fact, he used a phrase in Luke, you should leap for joy in that day. Well, that's hard to do. Well, no, that's because you're seeing affirmation. For so they treated the prophets. You need to think about standing with the truth of this message in our culture and say, I see it as affirmation. The bumps on this road mean I'm on the right road. I think it was uh, Dave Wilkerson used to say the apostles, what do you call it, of, of peace or something like that. Like the Christian life is going to be peaceful. You may have peace in your heart, but there's going to be storms on the path, right? There's no way you're not going to have this. So be affirmed when you hit another bump this week, when there's another price to pay for loyalty to Christ. Verse 17. Here's another perspective that'll help you. For It's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Okay, there's bumps on the road and the bumps are for us now. That's the bumps because we don't fit in this culture. We're in Egypt right now. So the pain and the frustration and the rejection and the, the ridicule, it starts with us. We're the ones getting pushed around now. We're the ones being insulted now. And if it begins with us, if the world's pressing on us and we're, we're, we're getting pained for that, think about when it turns around. What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What about when God starts pushing people around? You've read the book of Revelation, right? I mean, when things start happening in the other direction, See, tribulation we should expect from the world, but then there's a tribulation that comes from God, and it isn't pointed at us. It's going to this world. If it's a bumpy road for the righteous to get to the kingdom, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? I'm going to make some contrasts here. I want affirmation instead of insecurity, and I want pity instead of anger, because some of you are fighters, and some of you, when you get pushed back from the world, you just want to fight because you get angry. Your flesh gets involved. And I'm just telling you this, when you get rejected and opposed for your Christianity, you need to be, you need to pity them, pity them. When they reject what you say about the truth of whatever it might be that's clearly revealed in scripture, and they continue to say the opposite and ridicule you and demean you and all the ad hominem arguments and everything that they do, you need to say, I feel bad for you. As bad as when someone rejects a spot on the ark because you're picturing them suffocating and drowning and their lungs filling with water. I'm thinking to myself, I feel bad for you. Yeah, it's hard. I don't like you throwing rocks at me. But even Stephen, when he was being killed and martyred, could recognize this is a bad thing for you. Jesus on the cross could see the same thing. This is a bad thing for you. Woe to you. When the women cried, when he was walking through the streets naked, carrying a cross, he said, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. You need more pity for them, which should, I hope, drive you to continue to do what the next verse is, and that is just double down. Verse 19, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And you know what good thing is for you to be salt and light and to speak up this week about Christianity? Just keep on doing that. Live life consistent with that message and keep speaking that message. I said recommit, not retreat. Right? Affirmation, not insecurity. Pity, not anger. Recommitment, not retreat. I want to say I'm recommitted to being an ambassador of Christ. Yeah, I'm getting heat and I'm missing out on opportunities because I stand with this person in culture that's hated, but I'm going to draw near to him. I'm going to recommit to my loyalty to him. I'm going to speak up for his agenda in this world even more because I love him and I love his uh, approval and peace with him more than I love whatever I would get from you so I don't get popular, so I don't have the applause of the world. Maybe that's some perspective that will help. Now back to our text. I know verses 26 through 28 in this second 
scenario in his life the next day, you can say it's just a continuation of the rejection theme, and it is, but let me pastorally shift. Let me modulate this just a little bit. He gets thrust aside and outed, and the people that should be taking his message of salvation, in that case, to be freed from slavery in Egypt and go to the promised land, they're rejecting that, and that, I just want to say, that hurts, right? It's one thing to deal with perspective and rejection, but I want to deal with this second thing, number two, just to look at these verses real quick and to think through this biblically. I want to seek God's comfort in the pain, right? And some of you listen to me preach on these things, and you think, well, Pastor Mike doesn't feel any of this. He's the robocop and, you know, cyber preacher and whatever. I don't know. Doesn't feel it. And it doesn't matter whether you think I feel it or not, right? I, I do, and I'm a human being and all that. But I want us to acknowledge the fact that when we hurt, there are the right reactions and wrong reactions. If there are people in your family rejecting you, your workplace rejecting you, when there's trouble even in just God not doing the things that he's going to do in the future and you're having to wait, when there's pain in all of this, when you're in the Midian desert working for your father-in-law and you know that is not what God has prepared you for and you're made to wait, I'm trying to say here, I want you to get comfort, comfort from God. Let me give you three things real quick. And all of them are found in 2 Corinthians 1. So if you'd turn there real quick, but if I could give you two of them right out of the gate, they're all going to be in that passage. But one of my favorite verses in Psalm 62, 8, it says that we ought to pour out our hearts to God, for God is our refuge. There's two things there that are key. We're going to see both of them in 2 Corinthians 1. But you want comfort. Comfort does not come from ignoring the problem. It doesn't come from being distracted. The world likes to be distracted. You get hurt, something hurts you, just think about other things. They love to dull the pain too. Just want to, they got plenty of options for you to try to dull the pain. And, and those two things are countered in that very simple verse, Psalm 62, 8. I want to pray, right? It's a lot like Philippians 4. Instead of anxiety, the things that are hurting me and causing me trouble, Paul's in prison, he doesn't say, distract yourself. He doesn't say, go party. Just try to drown your sorrows. He, he says, you should take all that anxiety and say, I'm going to pray about it. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Get specific and pray. Pour out your hearts to God. The Psalms are good in that regard, right? A lot of pain in the Psalms. And it's all about talking to God about that pain. If you're hurt right now because of either God making you wait or you saying, I know this is what's right, and it's acting like, the world's acting like it's wrong. I'm doing the right thing, and it's being treated like it's the wrong thing. But I know it's what God says, and I know it's the right thing. It's the right message. It's the right truth. It's the right stand. It's the right standard. It's the right morality, and it's being treated badly. And you hurt personally over that, which is totally human, totally understandable. I'm saying your prayer life needs to be the, like the number one focus thing that you do. Specifically talk about it. Satan would love to get you to shut up about those specific things. Be specific. Articulate those things to God. And then the next line in, in that verse 8 says, for he is our refuge. God is our refuge. I want you to be specific about where the help comes from. Right? God is a God when it says the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. When it hurts and there's affliction, I want to say, God, you are the answer. You made me. You give me life. You can give me perspective. You can even give me joy and peace and all this. And that's where it goes in that passage in Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds. So God specifically engaging in our lives 
So I want to look to God and I want to look to God in prayer. Those are two things, and you're going to see them both. But the focus of 2 Corinthians 1, as you turn there, I want you to look at it now, is about the fact that this happens collectively. Talk about the world. They like to distract and dull. They also like to isolate themselves when they're hurt. Some of you may be listening online. You've isolated yourself. And you're not with the people of God. You're not in your small groups. You're not engaging. And I get the pandemic. I get all that. Trust me, I get, I get, I get the sickness part. But at some point, you got to recognize right, that that can be used as an excuse for you not to be engaged in relationship. And I say it all the time here because our biggest numbers are on the weekend, right? We filled this parking lot up three times and, and half of you don't engage in small groups. You're not involved in relationship. And some of you pull away from that because you're hurt, because your Christianity's hard, it's costing you. And I'm saying we need to do just the opposite, not isolate, we need to congregate. We need to turn our chairs face to face. Take a look at this text, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Start in verse number four. Look at the team nature. This God who comforts us, Paul says, in all of our afflictions so that we will be comforted. No, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So God has comforted me, and he tells us later in the book, part of it was through Titus. Titus comes and brings comfort. The God right, who comforts the downcast comforted us with the coming of Titus. So God used Titus, for instance, in Paul's life, encouraged him in the midst of his affliction, and then he says, all of that happened so that I could be good at comforting you. This is a relational thing. This has to happen in context of community. With the comfort, we want to take the things that, that happened and all that, with which we ourselves were comforted by God. He's our focus, obviously. It comes from God, but it comes through the vehicle of human beings. God's people. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, and some of you, again, to the extent that you mute your Christianity, the extent that you attenuate your voice for Christ, to the extent that your salt is no longer salty, you no longer are, have any salt, you do not, you're not shining, your light is under a bushel, well then, of course, you don't share in a lot of that. But to the extent that you're being open about your Christianity, the more you share in that suffering of Christ. They rejected Christ. There's pain there's waiting, there's a cross before the crown, all that's true for us too. So through Christ, because of our focus on him, because of his comfort to us, we share abundantly in comfort too. Right? Suffering's part of the Christian life, but comfort is a part of it too. And I just want to look at that emotional side, that sense of our feelings here. God can bring us comfort. If we're afflicted, and Paul certainly was, he says, I'm seeing it as part of the preparation for me to comfort you. It is for your comfort and for your salvation. And if we're comforted, it's for your comfort. I'm just immediately looking for, how did that help me? How can I pass it on? How did that encourage me? How can I encourage others? Which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So our hope is unshaken. Why? Because we're community. We're together. We're going to work on each other. Our hope is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, just like we share in Christ's suffering, you will also share in our comfort. You're going to be comforted. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers. We're not trying to hide it from you. The affliction we experienced in Asia, here he was as missionaries. What were they doing? Same thing Moses was doing. Hey, means of salvation, but they didn't understand the salvation, and instead they persecuted him. They left him for dead. And he says, I'm trying to help, and they didn't take my help as help. I'm doing the right thing. They're acting like it's the wrong thing. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. If you don't think the Christian life is going to lead you at times to despondency, then you're a new Christian. It's hard. So what do we do? A lot of times we distract, we try to dull, and we isolate. Paul said, no, no, no. We're not going to do that. 
We're going to look to God as the source. Look at verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we'd received the sentence of death. We thought we were done. And we were given up. But we learned. That was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on that refuge that Psalm 62 talks about, but on God. God who raises the dead. He raises the dead physically, and he raises the dead metaphorically in that he gets you through this. He can bring comfort. And we know later in the book, he says, Titus was the source of that comfort for us. He brought us that encouragement we needed. And God used him. He delivered us from such a deadly peril in our own self-condemnation and despondency and depression. And he will deliver us. There's confidence. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Prayer, specific prayer. Focus on where the hope comes from, on God, and community, right? The people of God. God's people as the means by which that is brokered in life. Feeling the pain of waiting. Some of you get really into jams. You won't even call the prayer line at the church. You won't even get on our prayer list. What is wrong with you? I'm serious. What is wrong with you? Why? Why don't you share it? I mean, I've watched other people, I've watched other pastors hide, you know, their COVID and stuff like that. I'm like, what are you doing? How dumb. I mean, think about it. I want you to pray for me. When I'm suffering, I want you to stand with me. And, and hopefully by next weekend, if I'm still alive, I, I would love for you to rejoice with me that God has brought me through some of this. I mean, I'm not on a ventilator, obviously, but I'm just saying, this is just an example of like, when you're in trouble, you need to share it. We need to walk through this together so we can pray specifically so that we can all rejoice when God brings us through this. If you're despondent, great. And then I'm saying, don't just sit there and go, great, now that everyone can care for me. You just take your notebook out and as soon as you get one nugget of encouragement, you're writing it down to say, I know now I'm equipped to do this in other people's lives. I'm comforted so I can comfort others. Glad you're with us. This is Focal Point and a message called The Postponement of Moses from Pastor Mike Fabares. We hope you've benefited in your spiritual walk as Pastor Mike faithfully teaches the Bible on this daily program. And we hope you'll agree that this kind of clear, accurate biblical teaching is valuable to yourself and your family, and to others as well. But to keep Focal Point going strong, we need your help. Please make a generous donation when you call 888-320-5885 or when you go online to focalpointradio.org. And to show our appreciation, we'll send you a helpful book titled The Most Misused Stories in the Bible by Eric Bargerhuff. Sort through modern-day distortions of well-known Bible stories and grasp their original meaning for us today. Request The Most Misused Stories in the Bible when you call 888-320-5885 or when you go online to focalpointradio.org. Again, that's focalpointradio.org. Well, like Pastor Mike talked about earlier, speaking up for biblical truth is challenging, especially if you aren't well-connected to other believers. So if you need to get reconnected, then you're invited to join Pastor Mike Fabares in person on an incredible and inspirational Alaskan cruise coming up in August of 2024. And here's Pastor Mike with more information about this special invitation. Hi, Pastor Mike Fabar is here. In the summer of 2024, I'll be teaching the Bible on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. I want you to come with me from August the 4th 
through August 11th, 2024. We're going to discover the splendor of God's word while we explore the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Join us for world-class dining, daily teaching, worship. It'll be an unforgettable experience. So don't wait to book your spot. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska to learn more. Be sure to book your spot right away at focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Well before he crossed the Red Sea, Moses was rejected by his people and waited in the desert for 40 years until God called him back to Egypt. And tomorrow, Pastor Mike Fabares shares an important lesson for us about dealing with rejection. I'm Dave Drewy, hoping you'll join us tomorrow for the conclusion of The Postponement of Moses on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash pastormike or twitter.com slash pastormike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.